Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Gentlemen, this is rumor control. Here are the facts. Hey guys, I'm Bobby Roberts, co host of Full of Sif, and welcome to Rumor Control the podcast that can't wait till Christmas to open its presents, and so it sneaks downstairs in the middle of the night either to shake the hell out of the presents or shake the hell out of Santa until he tells us what those presents are. Now, To quote one of the most powerful Jedi Masters who ever lived, It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a strong rhyme to step to. But like I said on earlier episodes, this isn't going to be a regular thing. We only sneak downstairs when more presents are stuck under the tree. And lately, there haven't been all that many notable gifts. I mean, we're not going to sneak softly in our footy jammas to examine a bag of gelt. Or one of those Satsuma oranges being stuck in the fireplace sock. I mean, that's not worth it. Everyone knows what's in there. Oh, good. Socks. And Pez. And a tiny orange nobody knows what to do with. But doesn't that just sum up Christmas? You go through all those presents, and right at the end, tucked away at the bottom, there's always one stupid old Satsuma. Who wants Satsuma? But man. Man. A couple big, fat boxes got shoved under that tree recently, and they are tantalizing. Ooh, yeah! And for most people, they'd merely wonder at what could be in those boxes, and they'd go on about their day. But those people have self-control. You and me, we don't. We'd like to. We think we can. But at the end of the day, we're more like SpongeBob, hanging out at Sandy Cheeks' place, looking at a vase of flowers filled with ice-cold water. We tell ourselves we don't need it. We don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. I need it! So let's quench that thirst, huh? But before we start taking this vase to the dome like a 40-ounce of old English malt spoilers, couple reminders. One, you're here because either you have no willpower or you prefer to know what's going to be happening before you watch the movie so you can focus fully on how it happens as opposed to what might happen. Yes, I know some people think that's weird, but to each their reach. And if I can't cop, then it ain't mine to grab. That was also a very well-known Jedi Master who said that, I believe. And two, for the sake of those who might think that it is weird, and that includes my co-hosts, Mike, Amy, and Brian, keep this to yourselves. Don't go slapping it up on non-spoiler forums or Facebook pages, Twitters, and Instagrams. Don't go complaining about the fact that I can't stop cramming these episodes full of non-sequitur sound effects to my co-hosts. These are potential spoilers, and not everyone wants to share in our wish to see things before they happen. Be considerate, okay? Last chance. 
If you don't want to be spoiled, scram. Beat it. But if you do want to find out what's going on, or more accurately, what might be going on, and how much of what we thought we knew was going on isn't going on, then buckle up, sit tight, and like Marvin himself would say... Han Solo dies. No! No! Now, I've been telling you to prep for this possibility for a while now. I've said, look, be ready for the possibility one or even all of the original trio might go. And be ready for the idea that you're never going to see them all on screen at the same time either. I got more on that one later. But... Han dying has always seemed like it was on the docket, especially since most people are familiar with the fact Harrison Ford wanted to off the old pirate in Return of the Jedi so that he had some sort of narrative purpose in the movie as opposed to basically being sitcom dad with the gun. Now, it appears Ford got his wish, according to MakingStarWars.net, which has, in the space of time between last November when I did the last rumor control and now, become the sole location for those looking to get a taste of the good stuff. None of that stepped on, cut with baking soda bullshit, but the raw, pharmaceutical-grade rumors, crystal blue spoilers. And by the way, they have their own weekly podcast called Now This Is Podcasting. So if you don't like me essentially just summing up all of their news, which, to be honest, is what this entire episode's going to be and what most of the last two episodes were anyway, you can go and check them out. So how does Captain Solo kick rocks? Does he die in the Falcon? Does the Falcon blow up? Tell me the Falcon doesn't blow up. <laughs> no, seriously, for real. Han Solo can get wrecked in all sorts of manners. I don't care. Let him get wrecked. I don't give a damn. Just don't blow up my ship. Your ship? Hey. Nah, the Falcon doesn't blow up. Apparently, Han Solo uses the Falcon to taxi around our heroic tree. Wait a minute. Our heroic trio has names now. Oscar Isaac is playing Poe Dameron, a rebel and an X-Wing pilot. Daisy Ridley is not playing someone named Kira, but someone named Ray. And John Boyega is an ex-stormtrooper slash conscientious objector named Finn. Poe Ray Finn. And Max Von Sydow, it rhymes with Greedo is playing a helpful old cyborg guy that some people are calling the Vicar. Although that's probably not his actual name in the movie, but it's still fun to say because you have to be British to say it correctly, and any excuse to pull a crappy British accent is okay with me, Vicar. Although it'd be better if he was Governor. Governor. That wasn't British. This is awful. I'm going to move on. Han and Chewie are putting in a lot of work with that Falcon in this movie, and Chewie apparently survives Han and flies our heroes off the planet where Solo meets his demise at the hands of of Kylo Ren, the bad guy with the analog broadsaber and the mask that looks like Darth Revan's, kinda, sorta. The prototypes of his mask are out there, as are full frontal pictures. Um, phrasing? That's not, uh, (laughs) whoops, that's not what I was... (laughs) Phrasing? Yeah, I know. That's that's not what I meant. I meant that there's images of him holding the broadsaber... Phrasing? ...facing the camera, and those images are actually the reason that Lucasfilm sicked lawyers on the Image Shack user who first leaked the image. It appears that Han, trying to buy some time for the rest of our heroes to complete whatever mission they're on, basically sacrifices himself at the hands of Kylo Ren. Apparently that shot of Ren in the trailer happens just after Han dies. Think about that. 
when you're watching the teaser trailer for the 300th time before Star Wars Celebration drops a brand new trailer and some behind-the-scenes stuff on our heads. Probably. I don't actually know that. But it seems to make a hell of a lot of sense that J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy are going to present something on that stage. And I bet it's not going to just be some t-shirts. Anyway, if you thought that moment wasn't great before, you're definitely going to dislike it now that you know that saber that just lit up just ran Han Solo through. Now, you might be thinking, hey, this seems kind of like it's a riff on how old Ben allowed himself to catch a glowing baseball bat to the ribs in Star Wars so that Luke and Han could escape. And you're thinking right. J.J. Abrams is pretty good at riffing and remixing the familiar and making it seem fresh. I gotta imagine he and Lawrence Kasdan saw an opportunity to blend the If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And the I love you. I know. Into one. Well, not literally, but I mean the feeling of them. When you hear If you strike me down And I know. Those feels, if you can just sort of smash those feels together into one scene... I bet that's what they were trying to do with this, which is better than trying to literally redo either of those scenes. A lesson that I'm sure Mr. Abrams learned on Star Trek Into Darkness. And this scene could take on even more poignancy slash heartbreak slash anger if it turns out Kylo Ren is Han Solo's kid. Although that's still up in the air. But it does seem like the only characters in the movie who have a direct connection with any of the original trio is Kylo Ren and Han Solo. Not Daisy Ridley's Rey and Han Solo, not Rey and Luke, not Donald Gleason and Luke, a rumor that took off on Twitter one day because a kid running a fan account that couldn't even spell the man's name correctly decided to regurgitate a rumor that was rumbling around with no verification, so nobody actually knows whether or not Donald Gleason is Luke Skywalker's kid. Speaking of Donald Gleason. It seems we kind of sort of know what he's doing in the movie now. He's a bad guy, according to either some call sheets or some shooting schedules. And that seems to be where making Star Wars' info is coming from recently. It appears the entire shooting schedule has been made available to those guys. And they know who was where and why they were shooting there for basically the entire movie. Now, it's not storyboards. It's not a script. But it's still pretty good. And according to those call sheets, Gleason is referred to as the General. And he's in charge of a super weapon. Now, you might be thinking, that sounds Tarkin-y. And yeah, there's been rumors that old Will Huff has some distant relation in this movie. People have been paying so much attention to whether Gleason looks like Mark Hamill that they haven't been thinking, but does he look like Peter Cushing? Which, to be fair, is not a question a lot of people ask when they look at Donald Gleason. Oh, man. His performance in About Time was heartbreaking and brilliant. I cried buckets. Yeah, but weren't you distracted by how much he looks like he could be the kid of the guy who was a kid of Peter Cushing, maybe? No? Okay, I'll just, I'll just go. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that was a dumb question. I'll just, I'll just go. I'm, I'm sorry, bye. Anyway, Kylo Ren has a bit of a mad on for Han Solo. Why? Lord knows. But apparently just the mention of Han Solo's name causes Kylo Ren to drop the thing he's doing in the movie and go hauling ass after him. Now, apparently Kylo isn't the only person who isn't too happy with Han, as it appears he and Leia are estranged in this movie. 
surprise, surprise, Leia's relationship with Han, the one sparked by getting rescued from a giant floating hurt ball, and then a giant snowball, and then getting stuck in a sock puppet hiding in an asteroid, which is a hell of a place for your first kiss, by the way, watching your man get frozen, unfreezing him after a couple years, you and your man recruiting a bunch of teddy bears, your man seeing you get shot and using it as an excuse to grab some boob, you and your man then blowing up a giant outhouse with Dish Network installed, that relationship turned out not to last. <laughs> this is not the fertile loam from which everlasting happiness can grow. So with all these call sheets and shooting schedules, we should have a lot of context here, right? We should start seeing new puzzle pieces that allow us to make sense of the story just that much more clearly, right? Wrong! I mean, maybe that stuff is coming, but we still don't really know what Leia's doing. There's production art that has her talking to five huts about something, and word is that the production actually built five separate hut puppets, all to the same specs as the original Jabba puppet from Jedi. Now, I can't imagine if that's true, that such a scene would be cut from the film. That's crazy. But we also don't know why she would be there talking to a bunch of huts. Well, yet. We'll get to that. We might know, maybe, that Leia's role in the movie is a little more than simply meeting up with the new trio, giving them their mission, and then settling back into feeding Gary the dog from a fat bag of snossages. Leia might actually have control of a third Death Star. See, I was talking about a super weapon earlier, and earlier rumors have stated the super weapon is housed inside a planet, or that it is a planet, and this super weapon makes the Death Star look like a Christmas cracker. So how do you stop such a weapon? You can't just fly a shuttle to the surface and then blow up another outhouse like you did 30 years ago. I mean, they probably don't even have Dish Network out there. Is this super weapon the one that General Gleason is apparently in control of? Possibly. Not clear on that. He apparently does awful things, making Star Wars specifically calls him hardcore. But then again, Civil War for 30 years, even the good guys might not be so good. Maybe he's in charge of this Death Star. Which brings us back to Leia, who apparently has to decide, now isn't this a twist, whether or not she should use a Death Star to blow up a super weapon before the super weapon can blow up a bunch of other stuff. The woman who was forced to watch the destruction of the only planet to have ever been destroyed by a fully operational Death Star now has the keys to one and is forced to decide whether or not to use it for the greater good. So that sounds interesting, right? But so far as that plot point goes, I don't know how we get there or how we get out of there or if it's even valid. There's a version of this dueling superweapons plotline where Leia is talking to the aforementioned Huts because they're funding a counterweapon to stop Gleason's superweapon, which is a bomb on a Super Turbo Alpha EX Star Destroyer Championship Edition. Which can literally crack a planet in half. Which is the same general concept, I guess, but completely different execution. Hell, for all this time away, all these call sheets fluttering through the air like the end of an episode of The Rockford Files. You know the two things that we're pretty solid on? It's the same two things we were pretty solid on before. The opening of the film and the very end of it. But maybe solid isn't the right word, because even our conception of these two things is different now. For example, the beginning of the movie 
does begin with a lightsaber tumbling through space. Now, how this is carried out remains to be seen. Maybe it'll look like the beginning of 2009 Star Trek, where you had no idea what you were looking at at first until the camera pulls back enough for you to realize you've been looking at the USS Kelvin. Maybe it'll look like the beginning of Star Trek Generations, where the lightsaber just sort of tumbles gently through the frame like that wine bottle before it crashes into the ship. Either way, this lightsaber, hand not attached, goes to the atmosphere and lands in a savanna-like area where a farmer finds it, it turns on, accidentally starts a fire with the thing, picks it back up, takes it to the vicar, who is like, nah Lewin Davis should get a hold of this, at which point Poe Dameron shows up later that night to get the lightsaber. But good job, Lewin! Everything you touch turns to shit! King Midas's idiot brother. You didn't notice the Empire was tailing you. Now there's stormtroopers coming and you have to hide the saber in trusty little soccer ball droid BB-8. <laughs> droid books it and Poe gets ready to take on the stormtroopers. And one of those troopers is Finn, who sees one of his friends die in front of him during this fight. He lets some villagers escape as a result because Finn really doesn't like this whole being a stormtrooper thing. And to be fair, it's a pretty crappy job. It's like there's working at Walmart, there's picking up cigarette butts at a truck stop, and then there's stormtrooper. So he says, to hell with this. And then Kylo Ren says, to hell with you, and arrests Finn and has the village burned to the ground. Bad guy. Finn is thrown into the brig of the Star Destroyer with Poe Dameron, and they come up with a plan to jack a TIE fighter and escape. Meanwhile, at some point, BB-8 and the Saber wind up with Rey, who is drawn into whatever the hell this is because she happens to be very good friends with the Vicka, and Han and Chewie have arrived, likely on the Falcon and not on a Star Destroyer, as previously rumored, although I don't think we'll actually know that they're already on the planet yet at this time. But they arrive just in time for Poe and Finn to make their break for it, which is kind of successful in that they get out of the Star Destroyer in a TIE fighter, but they wreck it. And then are rescued by Rey. Who is rescued by Han and Chewie in the Falcon. Basically, with this rumor control, every single shot in the trailer, except for Poe in his X-Wing, is accounted for. And now, a pause for speculation. What planet are we on in this opening? Now, everyone sees all the sand and such and thinks Tatooine, which, yeah, sure, I buy it. Or maybe it's Sullust or Corellia or Dantooine or some planet heretofore unnamed. And the fact that this saber lands in a savanna makes it hard to roll with Tatooine, right? But wouldn't that be a nice version of expectation to watch this saber come flying out of the sky and then land in a verdant, green, lush piece of farmland only to discover that what's really being farmed is moisture. That the intervening 30 years have made moisture farming on Tatooine so good that there are parts of the planet that have actually grown things. That'd be a pretty slick little bit of business, I think. Or it could be Dantooine, whatever. Anyway... Once off Tat Dan to Yola Storelia, there's apparently a trip to meet up with Leia, and the movie becomes a journey to return Luke's lightsaber to him and find out why he's persona non grata. Except for the ending of the movie. See, the ending of the movie, which comes from the same call sheets that point out Han's death in the opening of the film, says that Luke Skywalker's appearance in The Force Awakens is pretty singular, meaning he shows up just once. 
to get his lightsaber from Rey. And then the movie ends. See, there's the trailer shot of Kylo lighting his saber up, and then just after that, Finn and Rey apparently fight him. And they win, but not easily, with Finn getting injured enough to need medical assistance. They get off that planet thanks to Chewie and BB-8. They return to base with Leia. They're considered heroes for doing whatever it is they did on this planet. And then Rey says her goodbyes while BB-8, 3PO, and R2 decode a puzzle or something that actually reveals where Luke is. Chewie flies her there. She enters that Irish island location we've all seen photos of. She goes up some stone steps, hands Luke Skywalker his lightsaber, and then the movie ends. So, yeah. According to the shooting schedules and call sheets that Making Star Wars has, Luke's sole appearance is a wordless cameo at the end of the movie. Now, this revelation calls a few things into question, which I will enumerate, and I quote... One, Hamill's time on set and location, both of which would seem to be a bit more time than needed to film a single wordless cameo. Two, the purpose of the rewrite by Kasdan and Abrams, which was reportedly done as a means to beef up the original trio's roles, which now appear to mean beef up Han Solo's role and relegate Leia to a couple scenes and Luke to a cameo. Three, the location of Luke in relation to the climax because before now, it was assumed that everyone converged on the wintry woodsy planet because that's where Luke is, and Luke was there to stop the bad guys from doing the thing they wanted to do on that planet. Four, the purpose of the lightsaber in relation to that climax because now, without there being a Luke to return the lightsaber to, why the hell are they on that planet? And five, earlier reports not only giving Luke a role in the climax's proceedings, but giving him identifiable personality traits to explain his otherwise questionable actions during that climax. Now, I'm not asking these things as a means to throw shade at making Star Wars. Not at all. If they've got call sheets and shooting schedules, they've got them. I absolutely do not believe they're lying about anything. I don't believe that they're making stuff up. They have been nothing but conscientious and straightforward with what they share and how they share it. I'm asking the questions because you can't not ask the questions in the face of everything we thought we knew. Hell, this ending seems to call into question the entire purpose of the movie beginning the way it seems to begin. Because if the point of our hero's quest is to find Luke and get him his lightsaber back, then why does it appear that that goal doesn't actually even factor into the resolution of the film at all? It'd be like watching Star Wars ending with R2 delivering the plans to the Death Star after the Death Star was already blown up. Ah... But this is the beauty of the spoiler game. Even when you think you know something, even when you forget yourself and you start pontificating to fans who really don't want to hear any of this, and you're starting to get too deep into things and people are standing around looking at you like the idiot you're being, and they're all like, hey, dude, what are you doing? You're ruining it. Shut up. Shut up, you jackass. It turns out that guess what? You still probably don't really know what you're talking about, even if you thought that you did. So here we are at the end of Rumor Control 3, Revenge of the Context, because that's what's really chewing our tuckus right now. Context or the lack of it. Now, if making Star Wars has those call sheets and there's no reason to believe that they don't, that context is going to get filled in here pretty shortly, probably before you even hear this episode, which likely made your listening up until this point feel pretty futile. But then you'll be doing better than I am right now recording this. You'll have the context. I don't got it right now. 
You'll know why they all converge on that wintry planet. You'll know what Leia is doing. Maybe you'll even know what the hell Lupita Nyong'o is doing in this movie. Because, by the way, nobody knows what the Academy Award winning actress is doing in the Star Wars movie. Which seems weird. Anyone else think that's weird? I think that's weird. But really, the questions that I'm asking probably have perfectly reasonable answers. Because they're still, with about ten months to go about two-thirds of a movie written by J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan that we don't know anything about. Three of these shows, and the same thing now, three straight times. Two-thirds of a movie, still don't know nothing about it. And two-thirds of a movie is a lot of movie. And there are probably going to be a lot of answers regarding characterization, motivation, and those answers are going to lead to some understanding we currently can't have because we've been trying to knot together answers based on pre-production art, scraps of story, and a one-year-old outline from a guy calling himself Mizzolump. Still, that said, not only was I right to suggest you should probably get used to the idea of Han dying, but now you should get used to the idea of Luke only being in the movie for less than a minute, which is going to make using footage of him in a trailer pretty sketchy, since even a second of footage of Luke Skywalker is going to be a large percentage of all his footage. And that's probably not a thing anyone's going to want to give away for free in a commercial, right? But that's if this rumor is true, and if we don't get any more documents that further flesh out what Luke may or may not be doing in this movie. <clears throat> but after we sneak back upstairs and tuck ourselves in with our eyes wide open trying to make sense of a half-completed puzzle put together out of photocopied incomplete pieces, keep in mind, the story is coming. And maybe you won't get all of it before you actually see it on December 18th, but I guarantee that some of these questions will get answers, and they might even make a bunch of sense. It might not be what you were expecting, but whoever said expectations were things you were supposed to be bringing into the movie with you anyway, right? I'm Bobby Roberts. That was Rumor... Now wait a minute. We're not done, I guess. Now, this is my fault entirely, because I was like, well, what's up with Lupita Nyong'o? And maybe we'll get a little more context for Luke's appearance in this film. And maybe he'll actually be in the movie for more than just this one scene. We don't know, shrug. And then apparently what happened is that I spoke these call sheets into existence, and they fluttered down from the heavens. And I woke up the next morning, and I checked my email, and there they were vibrating, glowing. Read me, they said. I have answers to your questions that will make you forget how amateurish and clumsily you glued all of this onto the end of your show, which had actually ended semi-decently for once, you hack. So I read them, and guess what? We got a flashback. People have been dismissing rumors about this out of hand because flashbacks are simply a thing that Star Wars does not do. Now, the closest we've ever gotten was Anakin having that weird shirtless sexy dream scene in Revenge of the Sith, which wasn't supposed to look like a sexy dream. It was a nightmare. But the sweaty dude was glistening in an ocean of satin. And I'm like, like just look at it. Look at that. But this is a full-on flashback sequence, because there's all sorts of things in Star Wars that never happen in Star Wars until they happen in Star Wars. It's kind of a theme of this episode, isn't it? You know what you know until you don't know it. And so we have a flashback, and this flashback comes courtesy of Lupita Nyong'o's character. Yes! 
Lupita is playing a little alien being called Rose right now. Rose owns a pub, and at some point, Ray and Finn are hanging out with her in a secluded underground enclave, back room, pantry thing underneath the pub, and she tells them a story. Now, speaking of Ray and Finn, the rescue from the beginning of the film apparently does not play out like I just described it to you. In fact, after the tie is crashed, somehow Ray grabs up Finn, but not Poe, because they're separated and Poe is hurt, and Finn and Ray are looking for ships to go steal to go and pick him up. They're the ones flying the Falcon, not Han and Chewie. So Han and Chewie showing up for the first time on a commandeered Star Destroyer, back in play. It could happen. The back and forth, the reversal of fortune, never count a good rumor out. I have no idea what's happening. No clue. Totally confused. Anyway, this flashback essentially tells the story of the lightsaber, how it bounced around, how people fought over it, and how those fights led to a lot of people dying at an academy, and how those deaths led to Luke going into exile. So we do see Luke before the ending. We see him walking away from his school while a bunch of dead Jedi litter the ground. Harsh. The flashback suggests that a group called the Seven are getting in fights to try and get this artifact, and a group called the Clan are trying to fight them off. Now, Kylo Ren and Rey are in this flashback, I think. And Ren may or may not be a bad guy yet. Maybe. We might be seeing a little motivation for why Adam Driver is being such a fart huffer all movie long in this flashback, basically. We're also going to see that Rey is reluctant to take this saber to answer the calling that appears to be calling her. They calling me. Apparently, she has some sort of idea what holding the saber means, and she doesn't want it. She actually runs from it at some point. Now, Star Wars has always bit a little bit from Lord of the Rings, and this right here is some Aragorn-type stuff. And I mean, if you're going to steal, that's a good character to sample from. Aragorn certainly didn't have a cool fudge-sickle speeder, so I mean, that's one point for Star Wars. But then again, if the fudge-sickle goes over a cliff in the middle of a fight with giant mean dogs, it's probably not going to pull Rey out of a river and nudge her back to health. So, I mean, I guess point to Aragorn on that one. That was a weird little sidetrack in Two Towers, wasn't it? Anyway, all right, there you go. Lupita plays a really wise alien who owns a bar and tells Rey what her destiny is. Luke is seen in the movie before the end in a flashback where he discovers his fledgling temple fell, and it's possible that Kylo Ren might have had something to do with it. So he takes off and he doesn't even bring R2 with him, which makes R2 super sad. Ray likely tries to push off her destiny while still trying to do the right thing, but the death of Han Solo prompts her to realize that this is her destiny, and so she takes up the saber and goes after Ren to avenge Han and take down this jerk. We good? I now return you to the regularly scheduled end of this podcast. But whoever said expectations were things you were supposed to be bringing into the movie with you anyway, right? I'm Bobby Roberts. That was Rumor Control. Those are the facts. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.